Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to today's podcast of Believe in Chef Special on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. I am your host, Patrick Honeywell. Today, my special guest is celebrity Spanish chef Omar Aliboy, also known as the Antonio Banderas of cooking. Chef Omar is the founder of the Tapas Revolution Group with eight restaurant locations across the UK and the celebrated cookbook author of Tapas Revolution and Spanish Made Simple. So let's get going and check in with Chef Omar. Hey, Omar, how are you today? I'm very well. Thanks for calling. Hey, listen, I'm so honored and excited to have you here. A uh, big fan, big fan, especially lately because I've been doing more research on you and I, I think I've got six books just of general information on what you've done and you're such a young <laughs> guy. This is crazy. Well, 36, not young anymore. Oh like my, my gosh. Business partner, my business partners always say, gosh, you're not so young anymore. Said, we started 10 years ago, so it feels like a very long time and I was only 26 at the time, hence the joke. Maybe let's talk a little bit about your history and your journey that got you uh, forward and then opening the Tapas Revolution restaurants. Kind of, we'll go from there, okay? If you want to start out. Brilliant, brilliant. Well, I started, uh, basically, I've always been a chef all my life since I was a little kid. Mm. So, you know, always cooking with my mom, you know, learning from her, doing dinner. That was one of my hobbies, you know. I used to play football after school and then, just go home and, and help her make dinner. Mm. I always found very entertaining. And that sort of grew into real passion and later a career. You know, I did a cookery course, which lasted a couple of years while still at school. So it was an evening school, mm. cookery school. And then I, I decided I didn't want to go to university, that I knew that I wanted to cook for real in restaurants uh, and that was the best way to practice so I, I never went to culinary arts or or anything like that i started from the bottom as a kitchen porter and built my way up which is to me always the best way <laughs> that's for sure yeah yeah and that that again it's interesting your i think your interview was douglas smiley if you don't mind just talking about that story really quickly you interviewed with him before opening the the restaurant group and he spoke with someone that knew you when you were first starting out yeah i mean this story is pretty pretty incredible so i'll tell it in length because i think it it deserves a bit of time so basically i had a boss called ken sanker i used to work in in his restaurant we made a deal when i joined his restaurant and i told him i would make uh, el pirata de tapas as it was called the best spanish restaurant in the UK I was. I was not a humble <laughs> young chef, <laughs> quite an arrogant. But anyway, I said, but if we make it, you will back me up to do my, my own restaurant. So two years on, you know, arguably El Pirata de Tapas became the best Spanish restaurant in the UK. And he decided to back me up. And at that moment in time, he was selling a couple of restaurants that he was not doing well. He's a restaurateur himself as well. Mm-hmm. And, to, and he sold it to this Scottish guy called Douglas Smiley. And, you know, on a random conversation, they were sort of talking to each other. And what, what are you doing next? And Ken said, I am back in Omar Raleigh to do his own restaurant. And Douglas said, look, I'm a huge fan of the Spanish cuisine. I spent mm-hmm. all my holidays in Spain. Could we do this together? Could we 
introduce each other, let's talk about it, and maybe this is something we can do, the three of us. So that's, that's how it all started. We met, and we kind of interviewed each other. He asked me, uh, sorry, I asked him first, you know, what was his background, what he did, and so on. And then when he, it was his turn to ask me questions, he said, so how you started? And I said, well, I started as a kitchen porter in Madrid in a restaurant called Chicago Downtown Pizza. Mm. And he said, he stopped. In there, he said, Chicago Downtown Pizza. He said, Did you, do you remember who owned that restaurant? I said, yeah, it was an English lady. I said, I couldn't remember her name. I said, oh, it was, she was called Angela. <laughs> and he took his phone, put it on the table. It was the three of us. And he called Angela. Somebody called Angela. Right there. This, we were in London. Okay, wow. This was 10 years <laughs> after this, this <laughs> happened. And there we was, Angela on the phone. And I said, Douglas, how are you? And I said, yeah, really well. And I said, Angela, I have a really quick question. By any chance, do you remember the first kitchen porter you had when you opened Chicago Downtown Pizza? I said, oh, that was a long time ago, she said. And I said, and I said he was a, a local young guy. He was called Omar. I said, what can you tell me of him? He said, well, he was really keen. He said, but the head chef, would always would always tell him that he would cook once he finished cleaning. I said, and there was no end to cleaning in that restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> so so he, he was really upset all the time because it was never his turn to stop mm. cleaning and start cooking. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, and then he said, so he's grown up, Douglas said, he's listening to this conversation. He's grown up into a very talented young chef. I said, oh, I'm so happy for you, Omar, and all of that. I said, and we're looking at doing business together. And Douglas said, so what should we do? And Angela said, Douglas, I don't know how well he cooks anymore or, or what, what he's done. I said, I can only tell you one thing. He was really hardworking and I knew he would make it far. Wow. That's what, what she said. And Douglas said, well, that's everything I wanted to hear. Hang up the phone. I was in tears at oh. that point, as you can imagine, thinking yeah. how random life is that mm. 2,000 kilometers, you know, all of this could go back. My other business partner was on the other side of the table thinking, where is the camera? Somebody oh. filming this. <laughs> What's happening in here? And Douglas mm. made no further questions. Mm. He offered me his hand. We shake hands and we said, let's do this together. That's the most awesome interview I think I've ever heard of. And that's why I wanted to hear it again. I've only read it. <laughs> but you're doing this beautiful, detailed account. It's just an amazing, amazing uh, story. And we felt, obviously, this, this needs to mean something. You know, mm -hmm. we have to do this and make it the best we can. And that's how we started Tapas Revolution. When you first moved to the UK, you, I think, originally moved to learn a bit of English, but then you kind of probably looking around to get some Spanish food, you know, maybe a few restaurants to just notice there wasn't any authentic or classic Spanish cuisine. Can you tell us, the audience, a little bit about that and then define what is authentic Spanish food? So I've been in, in London for 15 years now. When I did arrive, I came to learn English. I couldn't speak any English. And I thought, mm -hmm. let's learn other cuisines as well, because London is known for its uh, multicultural cuisines and, and ethnic cuisines. And I thought uh, it'd be a good place to have something different than Spanish. Because remember, 15 years ago in Spain, 
it was really hard to get any other cuisine that wasn't Spanish. And Chinese food and Indian food was seriously like takeaway level bad, but not like you know it in, in America, it really bad compared to that. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> so I thought it'll be a great experience. And so I came and obviously I, I used to meet with friends and others and said, let's go to a tapas bar. But Spanish food was really crap, you know, and particularly very greasy, very bad interpretation. And I always thought, wow, there's so many Brits that go to Spain every year and they love our food. And to be precise, at the time, there was like 30 million Brits that go there year after year. And uh, now we are on 18 million. I said, they know what's good for Spain, but why the food here is not so good. And that's how it slowly started sort of uh, boiling inside me because I wanted to make better justice of Spanish cuisine, which was not exactly what I came to do. I came to learn English and cook all the cuisines. <laughs> but uh, that's how I slowly thought that, that there may be a chance of doing something for Spanish mm-hmm. gastronomy and start raising its profile and, and try to be the voice of it. If there is nobody, I thought, if there's nobody doing it, then maybe there is a chance for me to become that ambassador in a way, maybe like Jose Andres has done in America. Mm. And that's how it all kind of picked up. And one day, you know, I couldn't quite figure out the reason of why, thinking they travel to Spain more than any other country. But Chinese food here is so good and Indian cuisine. And I was sort of looking at historical reasons, Mm. you know, why I said, okay, so Chinese travel to the States and Hong Kong to the States and Canada and to England. And they made a a bit of a colony in there and they spread the cuisine. The same with Italians. They went to America and spread it all around the world from there. And Indians, again, came to the UK. So Spanish, we've never emigrated in the numbers that those other countries have. And Ah. that, which is an interesting question because life in Spain, remember, it's very good. It's sunny, Mm. it's friendly, you know, you have everything you need to have a really good <laughs> lifestyle. And yeah. so why would you move? <laughs> yeah, you move to UK and, and a little bit of rain, some overcast, <laughs> you know. Yeah, that makes sense. So they didn't bring their culture. You didn't see it for them to start maybe sharing the, the gift of food from Spain. Okay. And, and then there was, so Spanish, we've never emigrated in, in large enough numbers to make a bit of a colony and, and spread the culture in there. But I thought that can't be, you know, we're in 2005, you know, the internet, the videos, the media, it can be. And one day I went to, uh, I just went downstairs of where I live and I said, I am going to ask people. So I did a little bit of a research, took a pen and a paper. I said, I'm going to, I'm just going to ask and see if somebody can, you know, awaken me. <laughs> and, uh, and the first person that I asked, it was a middle-aged woman. She was about 50 years old. And I said, would you mind talking to me about food for two minutes? You have to. And she said, yeah, no problem. I said, have you ever been in Spain? And she said, well, I have a house in Spain. I go there for oh four months a year. I speak Spanish, which is a very common thing to find here in the UK. You know, a lot of people own apartments in Spain to go on holiday. And uh, said she's been there for 20 something years and so on. I said, wow, and do you enjoy the food in there? And she said, absolutely. I love the food, Spanish food, croquetas, calamares, tortilla. She knew everything. I said, so you mind me asking, do you cook Spanish food when you come back to the UK? And she said, not really. 
I said, and why do you think that is? Because that was one of my biggest things. Nobody cooks Spanish food. And she said, no one has ever shown me. And I thought, wow, that's really basic answer, yet it's fundamental. And that's when Mm. everything clicked in my head. And I realized that there was all of these Italian chefs on television, Indian chefs, Chinese chefs, French chefs, you know, all very popular, (laughs) all given the recipes of their home countries, but there was Mm. nobody Spanish. And Mm. not just that, what you could find of Spanish cuisine was with all my respects to my dear good friend, Jamie Oliver or Nigella Lawson, you know, they would put chorizo into a chicken stew and call it a Spanish chicken stew. And there is not <laughs> such a thing in Spain as, as you probably oh. know. So, so it was a bit of a misinterpretation and that's why people didn't know because they, you, you could never find a Spanish, good Spanish recipes on publications, in, in magazines, newspapers, videos and so on. And that's when I really thought, we need to start a revolution. We need mm. to start the tapas revolution. And that's where Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> tapas revolution with Omar Ali boy. <laughs> awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. So in here in the States, Omar, you some Spanish style restaurants that do some tapas and they'll have like flamenco and stuff. But even I'm not versed in Spanish cuisine, you know, much. That's why I'm excited to, to know you now. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think they're missing something. I think it's kind of like Jamie Oliver and some of the others that say, okay, you know, do our ter- interpretation. They may take it a little bit to a higher level because they actually have a restaurant that, you know, might be called tapas or something like that. But, you know, I can really understand or make so much sense that the people from Spain didn't bring food there, but people there love the food from Spain. And if you know what you're doing, and you have great partners and put something together like Tapas Revolution, you can bring Spain to England. And so they can, you know, take a moment, close their eyes, you know, start eating some incredible food, smells, etc. And for a moment, you've given them some of Spain. Correct. Correct. And my hmm. aim with Tapas Revolution, which it didn't start as a restaurant, it started as my own personal mission to bring the taste of Spain and the recipes of Spain to people's homes, because that's what I really wanted to do to start with. But then it obviously evolved. And I thought, you know, let's just spread the word of good Spanish cuisine in any possible way I can, whether it's through giving recipes to magazines, as I said, or going into a TV show, which obviously it wasn't my thing at all. So, you know, I, I've never been on television before that. And, uh, or, or within the restaurants, or maybe writing a book. Yeah, no, that was a dream that I had 13 years ago. I managed to write my first book six years ago now. But, uh, you know, mm. it took, everything took quite a lot of time to build that. But obviously, it felt very natural to me, mm-hmm. being from mm-hmm. Spain, just giving the right recipes and doing the right things in the restaurants as well. So I made a, a nice package in there that we became mm-hmm. sort of the, the trusted boys of, of Spanish gastronomy. And I tell you, it's great because I've already ordered some of your books as gifts here in the States. Uh, the, thanks uh, very much. <laughs> no, well, thank you. So, so Tapas Revolution and then the other book, that was your first one, I believe. And then Spanish Made Simple. Can we talk a bit about those books? What motivated you? Uh, a little bit, uh, the story behind the Tapas Revolution. And then maybe you had some ideas or thoughts on another approach. And yep. you did Spanish Made Simple. Correct. It was the first book. I, you know, I'm quite analytical 
about everything. As you saw, the story I told you, I went and made a research myself to, to try to understand <laughs> with my pen and paper downstairs where I live to try to understand why people didn't cook. So with the book, I, you know, I have a whole collection of books, probably like you do of cookery books. And mm. I always struggle with ethnic cuisines particularly when it comes to obscure ingredients. Um, mm. By obscure ingredients, I, I mean those ingredients that you need to go to a very specific shop to buy a deli, whether it's an Asian deli, a, a more continental deli or whatever, and, it, and they're really hard to find. And unless you live in a bit of a bigger city, you're going to struggle to find those ingredients. And I mm -hmm. thought that was always one of the setbacks of any ethnic cuisine book. Mm -hmm. because you're always missing those ingredients. So I decided, so with that in mind, I decided that my first book had to be one that, that in any recipe that you open on the book, you needed to find the ingredients within the six major supermarket chains in the UK. Wow. And I thought, you know, so I went to every supermarket and look at it. And if the ingredient wasn't there, I wouldn't write that recipe. You know, that, that's how simple. I was really straightforward. And that's what made the book a success. That no matter mm. which recipe you want to cook from, you don't feel alienated by either the complexity of, of the techniques or the ingredients that you, you know, that you can't find. And it became the best-selling Spanish cookery book in the world. Tapas no Rebel. way. Oh, that yeah. That is fantastic. Completely. Wow. Yeah, no, no, no. That, that is the best Spanish cookery book. Not the best, sorry, the most sold. Well, it's the best, too, I'm sure. <laughs> I've already got it. I know. Uh, that's I know. not nice for me to say. <laughs> it, it has become very popular, and that's the beauty. It's just the simplicity. Made it really simple for Your research and your point is so well taken because if I look at a recipe that's kind of trick, you know, different, and I think, oh, let me try this, you know, exotic recipe, and I, as soon as I see that there's something that I don't think I can find a local market, I move on to another recipe. Correct. And I don't go forward. So that was really an intelligent move. Yeah, I have to say, it came quite naturally with the Spanish cuisine. You asked me a question, mm -hmm. I have an answer. What is it about the Spanish cuisine? Spanish cuisine doesn't have that many spices or that many difficult to find ingredients either. It's all very natural. We rely on the seasons. Our cuisine, it's completely seasonal as, as well as very regional, you know, because one of the beauties of Spain is that we have, through history, Phoenicians, Greeks, Romans, Christians, Moors, all the discovery of the Americas, remember, came through Spain. Chocolate, tomatoes, peppers, potatoes, things that we all seem to, you know, at least in Europe, we all, all look at like Mediterranean vegetables. They all came from the Americas and all that came from Spain. So plenty of cultures that have cooked differently, that brought different styles, different techniques and so on. As well as that Spain has really different climates and geography. You have the north of Spain, which is Atlantic, cold, wet, just like England, very green, mountains, okay? Then, mm -hmm. as you go to the center of the country, it's flat landscape, incredibly, with a, what, what we call extreme climate, 45 degrees on summer, minus 5 degrees 
uh, Celsius. Uh, I don't know Fahrenheit, sorry. No, no, that's okay. <laughs> uh, you know, on winter. And then you go down south and it's this, you know, Andalusia, it's the desert. You go to the east where Palencia, where all the paellas come from, and it's the essence of the Mediterranean. Of course, the Balearic Islands. And then we have tropical. Down south, we have the Canary Islands, you know, mangoes, bananas. So within the same country, I always give the same explanation. A pepper doesn't look the same in any of the regions of Spain. I'm telling you, we have 18 peppers by nature that they look and taste completely different. And that, and that really explains, you know, in short, that we have a very rich variety of produce, but as well a very rich variety of, of those cultures that have come and left a legacy behind. And that's why we never, ever in Spain speak about Spanish cuisine. Never. That's not a word that it actually is, exists. We speak about Galician cuisine, Catalonian cuisine, Madrid cuisine, Andalusian cuisine. In Spain, there is not one cuisine that accounts for all the country. You know, it actually yeah. sounds weird when you say it in Spanish. Cocina española, they say, what, what do you mean by that? So that's the beauty. We have like at least 100 recipes, cookery book in every region, and there is 17 of them. So there you go. Tapas Revolution Restaurant Group or restaurants, you've yep. got about, I think, is it eight restaurants? Eight. We have eight restaurants, correct. Okay, okay. And I think you just were working on a new menu or just completed one. And that's so challenging, especially if you've, you know, what's difficult is, and maybe people don't think about this sometimes, but you have a menu that, and you know what's selling really well, what's not. So when somebody says, you know, I think it's time to change the menu up, you know, make it, you know, kick it up or whatever. There's some that you just don't want to take off the menu or you need to do another version of it. So it's, it's really tricky. Completely. Um, well, a, a ca customers well, against menu changes yeah. sometimes. They say, you took yeah. off the torresnos? Uh -huh. Why did you do that? <laughs> I said, yeah, it's just to keep the menu a bit fresh and dynamic. Yeah. Yeah, but not mm -hmm. the Torresnos, surely. <laughs> <laughs> so at the, at the restaurant, do you have to call on Spain a bit to get some of the, the ingredients, like, you know, some of the peppers and other things? Do you bring that in from Spain? or Completely. So, oh, Spain, so Spain, but not just us. Spain is the orchard of Europe. We grow more vegetables than any other country by far. Oh, wow. uh, so whether you're my restaurants or anyone else in this country, most of the produce comes anyway from Spain. Wow. So, yes. So most of our vegetables, except root vegetables or cabbages and some more winter veg, which we buy locally because that's what they do well here. Pumpkins, cabbages and, and root vegetables. That's what we buy from the UK. Everything else comes from Spain. Anything that needs sun to grow <laughs> can come from here. So there you go. And then obviously all the delicatessen stuff. So the extra virgin olive oil. As you know, Spain is the largest producer of extra virgin olive oil in the world. We produce 50% of the world's production. You know, Gosh. almonds, we are the second largest after the States. 
So, uh, I, you know, we are really big on food and we export mm. a lot, luckily, and, and we benefit from it. But since the pandemic, one of the things that has happened is that it's really interesting that, you know, sales have gone down in my restaurants, in every restaurant, and some have closed down completely as a result. And what that makes is that volumes have decrease. So my suppliers sometimes cannot go and bring something from Spain because we are not ordering enough of, and they need yeah. certain volume to bring a track yeah. of it. And that's oh. proven a little harder. So we've been tweaking the menu as we go along because there has been shortages a little bit. We've had to. Yeah. We've shrink the menu a little bit just to make sure that we cope and that we don't have those difficulties, uh, which, you know, it won't be nice for customers when they come to, to a restaurant and say, sorry, apologies, but we don't have this today or that other and so on. So we've played it a little bit safer for a little bit of time just to make sure we can continue to, to serve quality and good, good dishes without any troubles. Let me go. I have a couple of uh, quick things I want to go over and you could just let me know what you yeah. think. Is it true that you've been studying to be a, uh, an MMA fighter? No, that is not true at all. So, oh, that was the rumble in the kitchen. I read something about you going in a boxing match yeah. as a, as a no, fundraiser. That, 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 is, that is true. But that is, uh, we did that. That was a really fun thing to do for charity that really mm. pushed us all to the limit because every participant in that fundraising was not a boxer in any way, or a mm. fighter. So we imagine we got together 10 chefs, wow. two metrides, and two restaurant critics to train for three months and mm. fight against each other mm. on a proper boxing. And you can watch a video on YouTube. If you check Omar Rally Boy boxing, you'll have my I, fight. It, I it, will uh, watch that. Wow. That's amazing. It's embarrassing, but, but it's there. You might get more, you might get more clicks on that than, than some of your uh, uh, chef stuff, you know? Well, wow. so it's really funny, but we did train with a guy called Mackenzie, who is a British champion, boxing champion, and he offered his time and trained us for three months. And then we went into battle and we did race I think it was £66,000, which is, at the time, probably was nearly $100,000, but now it's a bit less, probably $80,000 or so. Wow, you must have been in amazing shape, too, so that part was probably great. <laughs> no, yeah, well, I was better, but still, you can see some extra pounds that I had to share, hey, and I couldn't hey. because... <laughs> food is too good to be left <laughs> on the plate. Okay, next question. I hope you like, or next comment, I hope you like Antonio Banderas, the actor, because I've heard that Gordon Ramsay has said that you are the Antonio Banderas of Spanish cuisine. And, <laughs> and wait, and, and also you have this really cool uh, show reel. So, and I've shared that with some of my friends and family. People can go on YouTube, a show reel that kind of highlights some cool things you've done on TV and some little interviews and things. Yeah. And it has Gordon Ramsay that was kind of checking you out for a uh, competition. And he said... That, I believe. And also, he says, you are too good looking to be a chef. That's <laughs> something else that I can't repeat. <laughs> no, that's exactly what it is. You are too good looking. He's too good looking to be a chef. That was uh, on national TV on one of his big a, shows. And yeah. I imagine watched by 8 million people. And uh, well, and he did say the other phrase, that he is the Antonio Banderas of cooking. And since then, that has become my nickname. 
Everybody oh. knows me for the Antonio Banderas of cooking. And well, hey, the- I, I, I even used it. I put you on my computer screen. I asked my wife, Sonia, I said, get over here. I want you to see the, uh, the Antonio Banderas of cooking. Yeah, here he is. <laughs> then I had to pry away from the screen. <laughs> there you go. And it was really funny because when Antonio Banderas was promoting his Pussycat Boots movie, uh-huh. or, uh, uh, ah. you know, he did the voice of uh, the Pussycats. Mm-hmm. And he went to the BBC to a show called The One Show. It's a Friday night show that is uh, the most seen on British television. And mm-hmm. because of this very reason, they invited me in to cook a paella live <laughs> and give it to Antonio Banderas and introduce the both two of us. And it was really oh. funny because the presenter said, Antonio, do you know you are not the only Antonio Banderas here today? <laughs> I said, what are you talking about? I said, well, let me introduce you to the Antonio Banderas of cooking, as Gordon Ramsay calls it. And yeah, we had a great time and so much so that he oh. tried the paella, loved it, loved it. And he told the story that through his cooking, he was able to invite when he arrived to the States and he couldn't speak any English, some of the filmmakers and directors, you know, and make paella and tortilla to them. And that's how he got to know them and to treat them well. And then they later counted with him for the movies and so on. And anyway, at the end of the show, you know, the presenter said, Antonio, I would like to invite you for dinner if you have time tonight. And he went, Antonio, and said to him, with a paella this good over here, I'm not going anywhere (laughs) other than my hotel room. Omar, would you please put a portion of this into a takeaway container? And I'm going straight in. (laughs) And there you go. I put a a little Tupperware with some paella inside. (laughs) And there he, oh. he went and go. <laughs> oh my gosh, what a great story. <laughs> so now I have a little challenge for you. I'm hoping right. that you can <laughs> that you can share a recipe for our audience. Now I know it's a little trickier because they can't see you in action. It's not a YouTube video. So if you can kind of walk through, if it's okay, something or some tips. Absolutely. That people visualize. Because you're so expressive. I know you're going to, I'm going to (laughs) sit here in my kitchen right now and I'm going to work on it. So (laughs) what would you like to talk about? So maybe, I don't know. I think we've been talking about tapas, maybe a few tapas, maybe not just one, a few simple ones. Hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. so should we start with some gambas al ajillo, garlicky prawns? Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay, put your imagination to okay. work. Eyes are and, closed. Uh, and <laughs> let's cook together. Okay. So, place a saucepan over medium heat mm-hmm. and pour some good Spanish extra virgin olive oil, obviously, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> with some thinly sliced garlic. Mm. And turn the heat on and let it come to a fry. It's important to start from cold oil so that the oil infuses with the garlic as much as possible. Mm. And after about a minute or so, add a chili into the pan, thinly slice, and add your peeled prawns, ideally, Mm. uh, into the pan. Season with a bit of salt and pepper. And after a minute, turn the side of each individual prawn and Turn off the heat, add a bit of 
finely chopped flat parsley or mm. chive, mm -hmm. if you have some, and let it finish off with the residual heat so that the prawns are cooked to perfection. Mm. So that, that could be sense. one. That sounds awesome. Okay. Yeah, nice and simple. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I want simple. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So that hopefully as many people can, can do it at home. What else? What else would you like now? Well, you know, I was looking uh, through your Spanish-made simple cookbook. It could be anything. Yeah. And this is very simple, but the visual on the, on the photo was amazing. And it was a mushroom, a big mushroom. Yeah. It With was stuffed. I think you did the ham mayonnaise or something. It doesn't okay. have to be that. But that's Good a really one. easy one, I think, for us. I loved it. Good. So I am glad that you asked for that because I'm going to tell you how to do it. But as well, mm -hmm. if you go to my YouTube channel, The okay. Spanish Chef, okay. you will be able to see that very exact video. Oh, perfect. Okay, so there you go. It's a good resource. <laughs> so we are going to put some portobello mushrooms, mm -hmm. some decent-sized bottom mushrooms, remove the stock and place them into a baking tray. Put a bit of olive oil on top some thyme leaves, a bit of garlic, salt and pepper. We're going mm. to bake it in the oven for about 20 minutes at 180 degrees. I believe that's gas mark three or four in America. Okay. While the mushrooms cook, we're going to make a ham mayonnaise. Mm. And in the video, you will be able how we do it because I do it very differently. And this, many people think is a thing of magic, but you know that Mayonnaise, we always do it by emulsifying the egg yolks mm -hmm. with the oil that you add. And you should pour on a very thin string your oil so that it allows time and air to get into the, into the egg yolk. And that's how it emulsifies. Mm -hmm. So my mom does it by putting it all together in a glass or a kilner jar that fits quite tightly with the nozzle, or the nozzle, no, the, the blades of your hand blender. Mm. So if you imagine you're looking at a glass kilner jar that has a bit of lemon juice on the bottom with a bit of salt, the egg yolk, and a little bit of ham, and then there is like 200 milliliters of oil on top. And you put mm. your hand blender on the bottom and you start blending that egg yolk. Mm. And it emulsifies with the oil slowly because of the density. Mm -hmm. The egg yolk sits and, and the lemon juice sits all in the bottom. And then the oil starts incorporating a little bit at a time naturally by itself. And you will see it on the video and it's like magic. I've shown it to Michelin star chefs and they were like, I, I'm not going to say the F word, but <laughs> like, what, you know, well, it brings this is, it's, it's very, <laughs> I can visualize that word too, just like I'm visualizing <laughs> what you're cooking. <laughs> and literally, they, they are all amazed at wow. how is it possible that you can make a mayonnaise with all of the ingredients together without a thin stream. So uh, I know it has proven very popular. So hopefully you watch the video. It takes oh, a few definitely. minutes. And, this, and then you put the mayonnaise once it's emulsified, uh -huh. you know, put yep. the mayonnaise on top of the portobello mushrooms mm -hmm. and just gratin them under the grill for just a few minutes, two, three minutes until it's nice and golden and eat them warm. And they are absolutely oh. delicious. Wow. Well, wow, those are two great tips. And I know that you have so many more in the Tapas Revolution <laughs> book and the Spanish Made Simple Cookbook. Ah, it's so great. Chef, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been a real honor. And oh my gosh, 
and so much fun. Yeah, thanks very much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. I appreciate it. Thanks very much and uh, see you soon, hopefully. For all of you listening out there, Chef Special is part of the Believe Podcast Network. Check it out at Believe.com. And follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Patrick Honeywell. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.